Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. I want to share with you guys one of my all-time favorite companies. I'm passionate about this company. I've been using them for over three years, and they make some of the cleanest and most affordable personal care products for the entire family, personal care and wellness products. So they have herbal remedies and tinctures. They have personal care products. My husband and myself use their deodorant on a daily basis. And most recently, they've launched a home care cleaning line, which we now have transitioned pretty much all of our cleaning products over to their their cleaning products. So we use their cleaning spray and their dishwasher detergent and their laundry detergent and their dishwashing soap. And we have been so impressed with not only the quality and simplicity of their products, but also the affordability and small company, family-owned company experience that we get when we shop with them. So the company is Earthly and they are just phenomenal. You can go shop at earthly.com and earthly is spelled E-A-R-T-H-L-E-Y.com slash R-E-F slash T Kulik. Alternatively, you can thank me for your checkout. Um, Thank you. Thank me for your order in the checkout section. And you can use the code Taylor10 to save 10% off your first order. Hi, everyone. Today we have Andrea Haskins joining us for this episode. Andrea is a mom of two, and she's a breastfeeding peer counselor and lactation counselor certified with Childbirth International, and she has a focus on mother-baby-led intuitive parenting. She believes parents have been led astray by the modern medical industrial system and the multitude of opinions and information available and have dampened the ability to mother biologically and instinctually. She wants to encourage mothers to take back that instinctual power in order to be less dependent on the systems that took away their authority. So today we're going to be chatting about separate how separation-based parenting strategies actually do impact and have the potential to disrupt breastfeeding. So without further ado, let's get to this discussion. Okay. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for being here today with us. Would you mind, for those that don't know you, if you could just start by introducing yourself? Yeah. So I'm Andrea, and I'm a lactation counselor and a mom of two here in upstate New York. I'm a La Leche leader also, which is like a breastfeeding peer uh, counselor. And I'm a former English teacher. And I, I kind that. of just, <laughs> I kind of just started my Instagram instinctual mothering uh, to help new moms because in the new, you know, in my postpartum period as a new mom, I was just so focused on doing everything right. And 
following all the rules and it kind of like ruined things and not being in tune with my instincts. So that's why I kind of started the Instagram. So over there, we talk about, I mean, a lot of things, um, breastfeeding, obviously, first and foremost, but also different parenting attitudes that kind of perpetuate separation and the things that cause me anxiety. So I want to help other moms kind of move away from that if they want to. And I also have a blog slash sub stack with another great mom, Natasha, Radical Moms Union. We just kind of started that. And that goes beyond breastfeeding too. It's like everything parenting. And we kind of go on those themes too of like, why is everything so pushed towards separation and detached instead of like nurturing and, and the attachment parenting thing, which, you know, I know you touch on a lot with sleep and stuff. Yeah. Cool. I love like, you know, you're saying you started this Instagram account to help parents and you're like, if, well, if they want to, and I think <laughs> it's so funny because like when people, I'm sure you get this too sometimes, but sometimes I'll get comments or messages or whatever from people who like, don't really understand what I'm doing on social media. And I'm like talking about, um, the problems with like parents going to like these authority figures, like doctors or whoever that's telling them what to do and what not to do. And they're like, well, you're here also telling parents what to do or not to do. And I'm like, no, I'm not like, that's not the point of my post. Like the point of what I'm sharing is to give parents other information so that they can be then empowered to take their decisions into their own hands and make decisions that work best for them. Like it's the opposite of that, but it is confusing. Like it's just confusing on social media. I don't know. I just thought that was funny that you were like, if they want to. <laughs> well, no, I was thinking about this yesterday because I had that exact thought. I was like, am I just as bad? Like I'm telling people that this is the right way. Um, and I think that's okay in a way, you know, the people that aren't going to connect with us are just going to leave yeah. it. And that's that well, you're telling people what the biological norm is. Yeah. So not that they have to do something specific. And it's just, and if they resonate with my message, great. If they don't, that's fine too. There's plenty of other stuff that resonates with the opposite message. So they can just, you know, go look at that. But the, I was thinking like the reason I do this was because I truly feel like it ruined my first postpartum experience yeah. um and plus like you said it's a biological norm like you know we could get into research about attachment and stuff but um like the leche league has this kind of analogy they use the magnet have you heard of mm -mm. like a magnet no. theory i don't think so they said like so imagine two magnets in different rooms of the house that's easy because they're totally just not near each other right Mm -hmm. And then imagine two magnets together. That's easy, right? It's not like they're stuck together. But what we try to do in the Western world is like two magnets almost touching. Um, and it's a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. um, like breastfeed your baby, but not too long. Hold your baby, but not too much. Make sure they can go to sleep on your own, their own, you know. Yeah. Don't spoil them. Make sure they're socialized, you know, that sort of thing. So that's the hardest. There's like the most tension when you are holding two magnets almost touching. So I don't, I do think it makes it harder than it needs to be like the cultural attitude. So that's why like everyone thinks they're right. Like, obviously I think I'm right, but like, <laughs> I don't want to be another person telling you what to do. You're right. 
because yeah. I got into that too. I always wanted to be like, okay, this person says it's okay to do, so I'm going to do it. And I do, you know, like I do think everyone should be able to follow their own instincts. That's why yeah. my thing is instinctual. Mother. Well, I think a lot of parents are also just, especially moms are really just looking for not only validation, but like somebody to tell them here is what you need to do and permission to do the things that they want to do. Like, you know, even just lifestyle things. I've, I talk about this all the time. I think it's so interesting how like, you know, you, you'll be talking to like a new mom and they'll be like, oh yeah, I need a, I'll, I'll check with my doctor to see if we can do that. But it's about like something nutrition related or like a sporting event. I don't know. Like you're getting your child, you want to get your child into like sports lessons. Oh, I need to check with my pediatrician. Like, no, you don't. Your pediatrician <laughs> isn't trained. Like they're not an expert in parenting. Like you make the decision, but I mean, it would be easier if we just like knew exactly what to do and had everybody around us validating us. Right. But it's, that's not Mm -hmm. how it is. So, um, okay. So most of us here, like most people listening probably know what we mean when we're talking about separation, um, tactics and separation parenting and things like that. But can you give some more examples? Cause I think, I think a lot of people don't understand how some of these like mainstream parenting separation based parenting strategies also impact breastfeeding. Like it's not, they're not separate. Like breastfeeding is not separate from sleep and breastfeeding is not separate from like parenting. Right. It's, can you talk about that a little bit? Like give some examples. Well, yeah. The only reason I kind of got into more of these attachment based stuff, like parenting tactics and realizing the whole spiel that I followed with my first is just like a scam like I just realized it's such a scam and it's so unsupport it's because these things are unsupportive of breastfeeding because breastfeeding requires you to be near the baby at all times um and a lot of people are just not cool with that for whatever reason these days um I feel like it starts right away like sending your baby to the nursery, which is not super common anymore with the baby friendly, um, hospital initiative, but like, we're already having like pushback on people saying like, it's not fair. And, um, you know, there's already like drama about that. Like, Oh, we should bring back nurseries, but like, and I get it. Like you, everyone needs to sleep, but if your goal is to, to breastfeed, being with your baby in those like precious times right after birth is like super important. Um, you know, yeah. being close to the baby. And it's not to say if you're separated, it's the end of the world and you'll never breastfeed, but it's just more of like the culture, like formula companies are actually the ones that like thought of nurseries. Mm-hmm. Like they, they actually sponsored and like built nurseries in like the sixties and seventies and, and hospitals because obviously it benefited them. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't realize the impact and influence that formula companies have had on basic, like common mainstream parenting practices. And they get, a, yeah. I think a lot of people also are offended when they hear it. They're like, they take it as it's shaming. Right. But it, it's like, no, it's yeah. just, just factual. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so ingrained. It's yeah. like so ingrained and kind of second nature. And it's almost like the best advertising is the one that you don't realize is happening. Um, so that's how they get around. Um, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on formula. We should have done that. That's like a whole thing. Um, but like even something is like, I mean, when you're in the hospital, the baby is swaddled, put in the bassinet away from you or in the nursery. And these things kind of seem benign at the time, but 
put put everything together if we've had a mom with like a traumatic birth who was like depleted and she was separated from her baby now the baby's swaddled maybe it had like drugs during labor um you know these things are all like compounding on top of each other right to like create the atmosphere that does not is not conducive to breastfeeding um you know and I swallowed both my babies there's not to say like you're a bad person if you did it but I never really thought of the fact that like it only exists because of co-sleeping is not the norm like swaddling really only exists because you have to get a baby somehow to sleep on their back alone in a crib and that was like the best way um to do it basically and right. it's supposed to be womb like but in the womb if you really think about it they can move their arms right and they can kind of like put their their arms up to their face and um it's important for their like tactile and nervous system to be able to put their arms up by their face and like feel the breast too. Mm-hmm. So just something to think about. And it's not to say like, it's not, you, you know, you never ever do it. Like it's okay to do it. Like if you need, you absolutely need to, but it's just like, like I said, all these things on top of one another, yeah. are like stopping breastfeeding. Well, and also it's like the idea that you have to do it. It's like so many parents think swaddling isn't like even an option. It's just what you do. I get asked all the time, like my baby hates swaddling. What do I do? Don't swaddle. It's fine. You like, you don't have to swaddle, but parents Mm -hmm. are being led to believe that these are just like this, this, um, this formula is just the exact formula that you follow. When you have a baby, you swaddle, you put them in the crib, you feed them every three hours, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all linked. And then we wonder like women wonder why, at three months or four months or six months, whenever they're all of a sudden, like not breastfeeding, like they're not producing enough milk for their baby. And then they say, well, it's just that my body is not capable of producing enough milk for my baby. Well, I mean, in some circumstances, yeah, that, that can be true, but like most of the time, that's not what's happening. It could be all of these, these factors that are, like you said, compounding on one another and coming into play and affecting the breast milk supply and affecting the breastfeeding relationship, but women yeah. don't even think about it. Yeah, definitely. Like sleep feeding schedules is another one. Everything is kind of modeled after bottle feeding. Right. Um, you know, a lot of breastfeeding advice is modeled after bottle feeding and it just doesn't really work out like the whole two to three hour thing. Like I remember feeling like a failure if my daughter couldn't make it to three hours yeah. Um, and I thought something was wrong. Um, and then that's where you get into like people thinking their supply is low. And then what else happens at like three to four months, people start looking at sleep training. So mm-hmm. that's another thing that kind of can, can ruin some women's supply. It's not for, you know, it doesn't for everyone baby sleeping through the night, but it can for a lot of women. Can you explain more about how sleep training can impact breastfeeding? Well, your milk supply is the highest during the night. So when you're not getting the night milk removals, your body is like, oh, we don't have a newborn or an infant anymore. So I guess we don't need as much milk. So that's when it'll start down regulating. Um, So, and some babies like get a lot of their, you know, it's so, it's kind of funny, like, because at the same time, a pediatrician will tell you, you don't need to 
feed at night anymore is like the same time where they'll say in the same sentence, like they're not gaining enough weight. So you have to supplement mm-hmm. with formula. Like it makes no sense. They need that for their nutrition and they need that for your milk supply. Um, some women have a different breast storage capacity and they can go seven, eight, nine hours. I mean, I did, but I would never tell a mom, oh yeah, it's totally fine. I always say everyone's different and it can definitely impact your milk supply if you have a s- smaller storage capacity. Yeah. So I, the storage capacity thing to me was huge when I learned that. Um, and I think a lot of, that's a concept that a lot of moms have a hard time understanding. Can you explain a little bit more about like what that is, the breast milk storage capacity and like how that can impact how long your baby can go at night between feeds? Yeah. So, and it has nothing to do with breast size. Right. So it's not like bigger boobs (laughs) have a bigger container. It has to do with how many like milk ducts and milk, you know, the alveoli in your breasts, like how many of those you have. And some, you have to come, you have to keep them empty for your body to make milk. So when they're full, I like to think of it as like a water balloon. If the water balloon's full, you shut off the faucet because you don't want it to break. If the water balloon's empty, you turn on the faucet. So you need to keep like your breasts kind of feeling empty in order for your body to send the signal to make milk. So if a mom lets her breasts fill up and then keeps going longer and longer, it's sending the signal to her body to stop making milk. And then if she has a smaller storage capacity to begin with, it's going to like lower milk supply in addition to. So, you know, some moms, it takes longer to reach that threshold. Anytime you feel engorgement, it's kind of the opposite. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, I'm full. I have a lot of milk. But anytime you feel engorgement, it's sending the signal to your body to make less milk. Mm-hmm. So some women have to keep it emptier more often than some other women in order to send the signal and it has nothing to do again with breast size. And that explains why some breastfed babies can go like three, they'll go three hours or even four hours sometimes in between feeds, even during the day. But then other babies will be nursing every hour and a half or two hours. And that doesn't change at night. Like a lot of times that pattern still repeats at night because of that, the the breast, um, the breast milk storage capacity. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, like I said, at night is when your body is like programmed to make more. It's like a cruel cruel fact of life and you'll see people in the comments like well I sleep train and I still breastfed you know or I slept through the night and I still breastfed it's like that's fine but just telling that like broad to every person is wrong because every person's not going to be like that yeah and then there's there's a mom for every person in the comments saying that there's a mom in the comments coming over and saying how when she slept trained or slept trained when she sleep trained her baby at four months or five months or six months her breast supply her breast milk supply decreased yeah so it i mean yeah it's different for everybody Um, and it's important for, for moms just to be aware of that and to be informed so that they can, that's like, that's my ultimate goal. Always. I probably yours too, is for moms to have all of the information so that they can make the best decisions rather than being told that they can do all of these things and it won't impact their, their supply and it won't impact their breastfeeding relationship because we find that that's just not true, you know? Yeah. And I see like a lot of the sleep popular sleep trainers will say like, Oh yeah, you can totally do this. 
you know, while breastfeeding, but sometimes it's just not possible. Right. And it's not going to be good. Yeah. And I think, you know, a red flag to me with like sleep training culture and stuff is if, if you have somebody telling you that they can guarantee something with your baby, that they can guarantee your baby will sleep through the night or whatever it may be, then that sleep training program is not going to be totally responsive. And it's not going to be like addressing the unique needs of your baby, because there is no way to make those guarantees. If you want to keep a breastfeeding relationship with your baby and be responsive to their needs, there's no way to make guarantees like that. Because like you said, sometimes it's just simply not possible to have your baby. A lot of times it's not possible to have your baby sleeping through the night and still keeping your breast milk supply up and keeping your breastfeeding relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing, like, as far as, I guess, ingrained in, like, the separation thing, I've been talking about this a lot lately, would be, like, the, like I said, the formula marketing. Um, it's almost like, well, if you switch to formula, you're going to have more freedom and you're not going to be tied down um you know it's it's better for your mental health that sort of thing and like i said these things are so ingrained even mentioning them makes people angry you know makes people think that they're being shamed but it's like no this is like the advertising that has gotten everyone and no one even realizes it really yeah um and i think it's important to think about like why do we feel like we want more freedom why do we feel like our babies need to sleep train be sleep trained and and why do we need to get them to sleep through the night and I know like the support isn't there for moms and that's kind of the root issue so I talk about that a lot as far as setting yourself up for breastfeeding as much as you can, because I know we don't have like a great system here as far as maternity leave. But as far as the mental health thing, I know you talk about this a lot too, is like getting yourself set up for support. So you're not like thinking that it's you against your baby and they're stealing your freedom and they're ruining your mental health and that sort of thing. But I think definitely at the root, a lot of these things, a lot of, a lot of these, you know, a lot of people reject attachment parenting or, you know, breastfeeding or you know co-sleeping because of this sort of culture and lack of support that we have yeah which is sad for sure but coming up and and for some reason it's cultural too though because I mean um Natasha and I working on our sub stack on our blog she did a piece that hasn't come out yet like the UK, they have, they have maternity leave, they have like publicly funded health care, but they still don't have very high, they have lower breastfeeding, breast, yeah, breastfeeding rates than us. And they have like a sleep training culture. Yeah. So it's, it's gotta be something culturally too, that's causing all these things. And I don't know why I thought it was so awful to like have my baby in my bed like thinking about it with my daughter I was like oh no 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 like they will never be in my bed like why I just don't like now that you think about it it's like why I think a lot of the voices in my head were like my mom who's like boomer generation um telling you well they'll never get out of your bed but like 
really? Will they? For me, yeah, I think it's like like a, a fear spiral. It's like easy to get you. We fear the future. We think so much about the future. And we're like, if we do this, if we do X, Y, and Z with our baby, this is how it will always be. And then we feel like trapped. And so we're like, we have to get them out now. We have to get them independent now. I mean, that's what it was for me. Like we're getting all of these fear-based messaging messages, you know, it's, it's really difficult unless you're super confident and informed to kind of combat those messages and the, the anxiety and the fear that they can, they can, um, they can create within you. Um, I just remember being like, cause my, for some reason, my worst fear, was like having my daughter in my bed when she was like three or four. And like now my son's three and like still in my bed, like I could care less. But yeah. like, for some reason that was so terrifying to me. And I think it was because like, as in having like a baby and thinking three or four is so far away. But then when you come out on the other side and you know how fast it goes, you're just like, who cares? So I just like want to wake yeah. up other moms and be like, oh, like, don't worry about that. So, yeah. And like at the same time, there's a balance, right? Because like some families might feel like they do need to make, like maybe they have been bed sharing for a couple of years and now they do feel like they need to make a transition and that's okay too. It's just like, we don't have to do it all day one, like day one, your child is born. And now you have to start this, the separation right now. Like the way that babies, babies are designed to depend on us, 100% depend on us. And they are designed to slowly gain independence over time. And we know that, like, we know that is true about things like movement, right? Like we know that we have to carry our babies around everywhere for the first six months, but then we know that they will eventually start crawling and then they'll start standing and then they'll start walking and soon they'll be taking themselves to places and also still wanting to be held all the time as well. But <laughs> we know that. And like, we, we're not like, I feel like most parents aren't nervous about that. Like we, we're not like, Oh, if I carry my baby around right now, I'll be carrying them around forever until they go to college. Like, no, yeah. because we're not getting those kinds of fear-based messaging. But for some reason it went, when it comes to sleep and feeding and things like that, we think, that how it is on day one is how it's always going to be. And it's just not true. Yeah. That's a hard thing when you're in the thick of it to really understand. Even the thought of breastfeeding for more than six months, like the whole like, oh yeah, breastfeeding is best, but after six months, like it's gross or after a year, it's gross. Um, When they can talk and ask for it, it's gross. yeah. 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 So that's another cultural thing that's kind of weird. I mean, technically the natural weaning age would be like four to seven years. I know not a lot of people actually do that, but this would be from like, I guess, studies of like primate, non, you know, primates and stuff anywhere from like getting your six-year-old molars to quadrupling your birth weight or, you know, something six times the gestation, um, I think was one of them. So there's all these theories on like when you should wean, but for us, it's a lot more cultural, but just the fact of like nursing a child older than one is like seen as gross. The boobs are not like inherently sexual. It kind of came to be in like the fifties or sixties that they were sexualized, Mm -hmm. but they're not inherently sexual. So it's just this major like cultural thing that we think it's weird to breastfeed for longer than a year or so. 
Yeah. And it has to do, you know, it's the same thing, like the magnet thing, like breastfeed, but not too long. Yeah. Like we know um, breastfeeding is, has all of these health benefits, but don't do it too long or too often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like just the, the expectations for moms is just, they're just unattainable. So I think all this cultural stuff kind of started, you can probably go back to like early 1900s where like we have like you know like the Dr. Spox and stuff I think he was in like the 1940s they were pushing the whole like don't love your child too much you know I think Mm -hmm. that it's just like gone through generation through generation and it's just like different things like now it's the whole sleep training thing like we're not telling people to like put their child in a corner anymore and like don't give them love but we've kind of like progressed to this more socially acceptable form of separation based parenting like the dudes who invented sleep training around the 50s I had a post on this they were all based in behaviorism Mm -hmm. meaning they didn't even think like we had free will this guy what John Watson I think was his name he didn't even believe in free will he believed like we're all just like going around acting on previous you know, rewards or punishments, right? You know, like stimuli, like the the Pavlov dog with the bell, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what he believed. So that's where like extinction comes from in sleep training, where if you extinguish or if you make the, the reward or the punishment extinct, if you just extinguish that, then the behavior will stop. Right. So he was the one who invented sleep training. And it seems so like rudimentary and crazy but I just feel like it's kind of evolved. And now we have like the modern sleep trainers and stuff. Yeah. So, and the, the gentle sleep trainers that are yes. actually very gentle and it's all, it's all the same stuff repackaged and like wrapped in a bow to make it appear kinder. Um, mm-hmm. And at the root of it, like it, it's none of it is, is actually addressing if there are issues, if there are sleep issues, none of it's addressing those issues. It's just behaviorism. It's that's what it is. I will say, I don't understand it all, but I do think that there is just like a much larger narrative to fo- to foster disconnection um, between parents and their children. And mm-hmm. there's also like a I, I have noticed a very large anti-child sentiment lately that ha- I think has been increasing gradually. I don't exactly know why that is, but I do think it's manufactured to some degree. Um, and I think this is all just part of it, like this this separating parents and children, disconnecting them. But yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't really get it though. I don't know what the purpose of it is, but it's I, I can't deny anymore that it's happening. Yeah, there's this whole thing on TikTok, and we're gonna write about it too. And it's it's based on like horrid things that people went through in their Mm -hmm. pregnancies or birth or having small children. So yeah, it's alarming and sad, I think. And it does go along with the whole culture of like hating your children or wanting to get away from them or being anti-children. Yeah. And I just think those people don't, I guess, realize like you don't think about the bad things when you have children. It's like everything is worth it. I don't know. I think it's really sad. I think the push that having a baby and giving birth and being pregnant as as a bad thing is really sad. 
it is. Yeah, it is sad. And I mean, I think there's like a balance because it's, it's fine. If we struggle with our kids, it's fine. If we want to break sometimes it's fine. If we want to like, we want to introduce a bottle because we do need like a few uninterrupted hours to ourselves, but like, it's still overall motherhood, parenthood, having children is a blessing and Mm -hmm. within blessings, there can be difficult times and it can be a struggle. Um, but I think the way it's generally portrayed in our culture is like children are awful. And I mean, there's so many commercials and stuff now that are anti-kids I've have, I posted, um, I have the highlight. I can't remember what it's called. Maybe motherhood. I can't remember what it's called, but I posted a highlight recently about this because people kept sending me, I was talking about it. And then people kept sending me these commercials that were just blatantly anti-children, like hating children. Um, and I had other people telling me that's not happening. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're crazy. And I'm like, I'm not <laughs> crazy. Like if you just pay attention, even a little bit, you will see this happening. Um, and it's bizarre and it's sad because just imagine our kids watching that stuff and seeing it. Yeah. Like, it's just so sad to me, but can you like, maybe, you know, we've talked about a lot of the issues with separation-based parenting practices um, and how it impacts breastfeeding, especially it impacts everything. It impact, it can impact attachment, but it really does impact breastfeeding, um, especially in those early months. Can you just maybe like, can we move into talking about what can parents do? Like, especially maybe parents who are moms who are currently pregnant or planning on breastfeeding, like what are some things that they can do even living in the midst of this independence obsessed culture to protect Mm -hmm. their breastfeeding relationship? Well, we talked about the support and really all this stuff that we've just talked about is like the root of it is like even the hating kids and Mm -hmm. like, oh, I need to get away from which like, okay, it's fine. You, you definitely deserve a break. Like that's right. not what I'm saying. Cause people get on me about that. But like the root of all this stuff is like the lack of support. Cause we feel like we have no other options and it's sad, but I, I mean, I talked about the support. Like I always encourage my moms. Um, like I have a whole breastfeeding course and there's an entire module on like setting yourself up postpartum for support with like meals and older children and cleaning and basically literally everything but breastfeeding, like your only job is breastfeeding. So that's really important in the beginning. And then mindset, like another module in there is all just about mindset. Cause I think a lot of this is cultural. If you have the mindset that formula gives you freedom and once you switch to formula, everything's going to be better. Like it's going to be a rough journey for you because switching the mindset, like I said, about freaking out about having your kid in your bed, even just having the mindset of like, okay, it's not going to last forever. Just what happens today isn't what's going to happen all the time. You know, that sort of thing, like working on that. And I think that like a lot of people need a mindset and cultural shift. And if breastfeeding is going to go back to the norm. So I guess surrounding yourself with with information and people that kind of help with this, you know, instead of the cultural messages that are about like all the stuff that we talked about. So like mindset and setting yourself up for support are key. Yeah. And like even opening yourself up to like, if you're the kind of person that's like, yep, I'm going to sleep train, like blah, blah, blah. Like 
I know that's what I'm going to do. Like if you, even just like opening yourself up to it, the message of the opposite. And then if it's not for you, it's not for you. But I'm sure if they're following you, they're <laughs> not on that train anyway. Usually. But, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I think the support aspect of it is so important. And at the same time, one of the criticisms that I get a lot when I talk about this is, you know, I'll list things and, and ways that, that new parents and new moms specifically can be supported. And I have people tell me, well, that's privileged and not everybody can do that. And like, yeah, I know that not everybody can do every single one of these things that we've listed, but like, what do we just not talk about it? Like we still have to talk about it and you don't have to do all of the things. Like you can start small somewhere. Anybody can do something to increase their support, whether it's asking for an hour of help from a family member or a neighbor, you know, we all have, most of us have this elderly neighbor neighbor somewhere who stays home most of the day and would love to probably help and loves babies, but maybe doesn't know, like maybe doesn't want to offer help if they're not wanted, right? If we just ask them for help or a church member, or we ask a church, our church or a homeschool community or something, whatever communities we're in to do a meal train, um, we can meal prep every time you cook a meal, make a double batch so that you can freeze it. Like that is something that doesn't cost any extra money. And it's a more tangible way. And you could do this before you have the baby, like start prepping in advance. That's a tangible, not um, expensive way that you can get yourself like a, a storage of, of some meals postpartum. Um, asking maybe your partner can like shift their work schedule around a little bit. That's something that I did when my son was born. My husband had was able to have like a flex schedule. So he could, he had to work during the day, but he could kind of start and end when he wanted. And so he pushed his schedule back a little bit because I wasn't sleeping at all in the first few months of my son's life. And so he would like wake up before 30 to take over and then he wouldn't go to work until eight. So I would get like three uninterrupted hours of sleep and that like literally saved my life. So there's always something you can do. Even if you don't have the money, you don't have the financial resources. Usually there's something you can do. And if there's not, I feel for you. Like that is so, so hard. Like it's we're between a rock and a hard place kind of in this, in this, I talk about, you know, I talk about also if you're pregnant and you're having a baby shower, prioritize these things instead of like the snoo, which is, you know, 16, I think it's like $1,800 now they like upped it or all these expensive things. We don't really need the stroller. Even like, you know, I was, I was freaking out over getting like the perfect organic crib mattress or an organic crib that your baby has never used. I know I did the same thing could have saved so, so much like, money <laughs> instead of focusing on that for your baby shower and I know like some people think it's like tacky to ask for money but oh well it's you it's yeah. your baby shower so and like say what the know. money is going for like you can also they have these registries now these online registries where you can create like mm-hmm. buckets um, where people can donate money to a specific bucket. I don't know what the word for it is, but, um, so like, say you need, like you want cleaning support, you can put cleaning support and then people can donate money to your cleaning support fund or your cooking fund or whatever, babysitting fund, whatever it may be. Um, so that's a really easy way to do like a cash registry, or you can do an idea that I love is instead of asking for gifts, um, or even in, in, at the same time as gifts, like you could ask if requests for everybody to bring like a frozen meal, like a frozen prepped, ready to go meal that you can put in your free um, for your baby shower. Like, I think that's such a great idea. Well, Andrea, can you tell us and anybody who's listening where they can find you if they want to learn more from you or what resources you have available? Yeah. So it's at instinctual mothering on Instagram and, and, you know, all my resources are there in my bio. I also have a breastfeeding course, like I mentioned before, 
and we it's kind of like full spectrum it's not just breastfeeding like it's postpartum and like I said mindset and then I have my sub stack which there's a link for that in my regular uh Instagram but it's like radical underscore moms underscore union on Instagram too that would be my partner Natasha's and so like we talk a lot about this stuff and we like we want to get published in like some bigger uh blog so we can kind of like shut up these other like narratives that are just so prevalent (laughs) so like that's our goal like I said I feel like I'm up against like a lot of a lot of big big interests yeah I mean yeah yeah I don't know if we'll ever shut them up completely but um I mean hopefully (laughs) our voices will be just as loud if not louder so we can um call out how silly and harmful it all is really but Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. I think that was a super interesting conversation. I could talk about separation-based parenting and (laughs) sleep training culture and breastfeeding all day long. So it's always nice to have someone else to chat about it with. Yeah. It was fun convo. Yeah. Thanks, Andrea. Yeah. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.